It's a snow day out there, bud. It is a snow day. Yeah, my dog. My dog does not like the snow. So. No, Sophie's not a snow girl, huh? No. So it was, it's always a hassle. But, well, uh, I can tell you that people forgot how to drive in it. <laughs> right. Definitely. It was, it was wild out there. It was wild out there. So uh, did you have a great vacation? Yeah, vacation was good. You know, it's nice to go abroad. It's the first time I've been anywhere in about three years. So uh, it was nice. It was good. A lot of, a lot of travel, seeing a lot of things. Reminded me of how big the world really is. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. So today, I think we're going to try to answer someone's question. We had a question from Ryder, and I want to go ahead and throw a caveat out here. So I was rambling like I do, Randall's Random Rambles, and I might have mixed some things together as far as how I teach, how you teach modern day in the West 20, 2022. And as far as how things were taught, maybe in the past, hmm. and they are, and I might have sandwiched those together. Um, my friend writer had sent me an email and said, "Hey, you know, in 1989, I got, I was privy to be a part of a class in Hong Kong, and you know, we've heard this from other other podcasts, and you've been over in China and learned and trained in China itself." And sometimes you don't flat out ask a question in the middle of class. You know, the class is training time. And Ryder was mentioning that someone had asked a question in class and got bopped in the nose for it, but threw in a caveat saying that whatever the question that had been asked, the bop to the nose was the actual legitimate answer. So I guess that's one way to train. I guess that's one way to teach. But something that I was talking about, I don't want people to think that when I teach, I'm handing out all the answers all at once. I build a foundation, I build a structure, and then from there, if the student trains, if the student practices, and the student trains, and then after practice, if they have questions, I'll give them a sprinkling of answers. By punching them in the nose. By punching them in the nose. So is that a wind chunk thing? Just, you know, the, the, the uh, nose punch answer. I, you know, honestly, I don't know what style they were training either. Oh, that's, that's the fair. thing. That's and they were, you know, they were talking about, you know, how Wing Chun, you know, was taught at a certain time period. Now, here's something that's fascinating. I, I'm going to throw this out here. Um, another podcast that I listened to, I'm not going to mention his name, but he has some real privy. He's a high-level Wing Chun Sifu. And he's like, listen, a lot of the stories that we tell in Wing Chun, and this goes for damn near all Chinese martial arts, are hearsay. Yeah, because we, sure. we weren't there. We weren't right. there. And, you know, as far as some of the stories that I've heard, what was taught in the main class wasn't always what was taught for private students. Sure. Yeah. If you have, yeah. if you, if you have money and you already have a martial base mm-hmm. and you're willing to adjust whatever you've learned, like as far as your base goes to the Wing Chun, you're going to be that much more ahead. And so, you know, you, you've mentioned it before how, you know, even in those times, Sifu has a rice bowl. You know, mm-hmm. if, if, if you are forced in, you know, or, you know, like, like Yip Man, he didn't really want to teach Wing Chun. That, that was a byproduct of certain jobs not working out. Sure. It's more circumstantial life circumstances. Very much so. Yeah. And same with Bruce, Bruce Lee, same mm-hmm. thing. You know, he really wanted to teach cha cha when he got to California mm-hmm. and. 
didn't work out. People wanted to learn the martial arts. So he's like, all right, we're going to adjust. But the other thing too, Owen, is how big China is. I don't think we can use our teaching model of China only off of Hong Kong in sure. a certain, a certain era, you know, another thing too goes, you know, what were they learning? You know, as far as military goes, you're not going to have 20 years to teach somebody in the military mm-hmm. for them to be effective. Sure. It's going to be, it's going to be small scale learning and the stuff that you're going to learn, you're going to put through a lot of different stimulus and a lot of different situations to show how that those little things can adapt to whatever's being thrown at you. I think that uh, along those same lines, it depends on when, because I know there's been certain times in Chinese history when uh, uh, martial arts were basically outlawed and uh, you know, other times when uh, the teaching of martial arts was like you were saying, it was more military focused or, you know, the militias were practicing uh, certain styles so I think that that's a that's a big factor. The when is a, and, and the how during those times. You know, in the late 1800s, you know, especially Sun Lutong, you know, people either praise him or crap on him. And, you know, he's just a man. He's a human being. You're going to make mistakes. But him and a few other scholars, if you will, who were educated, who were literate and who could read. We're really trying to pull the martial practices out of the gutter because for a long time, people that practiced martial arts were considered idiots and dummies, mm. you know, pretty much, you know, maybe one step above the rice bag carrier, mm-hmm. you know, the coolie, coolies, the guys that are carrying heavy mm-hmm. loads and stuff like that. The martial artist was maybe one tier, not much ahead of them. And so definitely was, lower class. Very much lower class. It was something that thugs and and the non-literate people would do. And so there was a big push to integrate, oh, well, let's add in, you know, Taoist philosophy, Chinese, you know, Chan, Chan Buddhism or, you know, Confucianism. You know, use it as an ethical and a moral practice, you know, when the gun comes in. And basically, you know, the martial skills are kind of less relevant. Uh, that's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And you've also got the West knocking on your door, you know, teaching your kids in a Western style. Mm-hmm. Here's math. Here's mathematics. Here's English. Here's all these other things. This is how the Western business model does. And all of a sudden you're having to not only, you know, it's not just the, Ch- the Ching and the Ming fighting each other, but it's the West and the East. Mm-hmm. And so you're using your martial culture. You're trying to turn it into a culture, not just for combatives. Sure. Yeah. It reminds me of, um, you know, kind of what they were trying to do in the Republican period in 1900, you know, sort of going forward was using, you know, almost kind of using these cultural touchstones to create sort of a nationalist cohesion in the country uh, to, you know, um, make China strong or, you know, those sorts of, those sorts of things. And, you know, I, I don't know what happens behind closed doors. This was just a window. I don't know how long Ryder was there, whether they were there for a day hmm. or a week or right. five, five or 10 years. Sure. That so makes a big difference. It, it totally does. You know, when, when you have your core students and, you know, Westerners are coming in 
you are going to act differently. No matter how much you try not to, things will be presented differently. Right. And the other thing too is, and I mentioned this to you too, you know, Hong Kong is going to be an exception because I think at the time, 89, they were still a British colony. Mm-hmm. Yep. But was it 90, 91, something like that? Or was it 98? Was it? Yeah, I think it was 98 because I was there in 96 and it was still the British colony. British colony? Okay. Yeah. Um, so there were British colonies. So again, the island of Hong Kong, if you will. Mm. Uh, but the rest of China wasn't really letting foreigners until what, 78, 79? Yeah, Nixon went over in 72 and sort of broke the ice. And then that was when China internally started sort of reforming some of their Maoist policies. Cause I think it was, I think Mao died right around that time. Yeah. They were sort of had enough of some of those, those, you know, cultural revolutionist type policies. But, um, and you know, I, I know subsequently that, that it wasn't really until the eighties that things really got started. Cause I, I think at the end of the seventies, probably 78, 79 or 80, somewhere in there, they started allowing more religious freedom. And that was like one of the biggest reforms in terms of being able to teach, uh, Buddhism and Taoism in China. So I think mm-hmm. it, that, that was really the time when those things started to shift. Sure. So I guess. Hopefully, I don't know if I'm probably dancing around it, but to answer Ryder's question, yes, uh, as far as people just raising hands in the middle of class and be like, Oh, teacher, teacher, is it this? Is it this? Is it this? Even in our own classes, we train a majority. It's the training. It's a training process. Mm-hmm. And that's usually where the questions come from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you and I, you know, for years, and hopefully we're going to get back into it soon. We'll have a good class. We'll train. And it's usually when I'm eating that I have a question pop up. Hmm. And that, that style of teaching was popular, at least from hearsay, uh, to, you know, Yupman and his students, you know, they would take him out for food or lunch or whatever. They would have something called yum cha, you know, which would be like little snacks and stuff like that, hmm. Chinese dumplings. And they would have tea with it. And that was usually a place where a lot of the theoretics and a lot of the questions were. Mm-hmm. But then again, it becomes an exclusive thing because you have to have enough money to right. take seafood out to eat. Sure. So, so it, it, it's very fascinating. Yes, monetary has to be a part of the equation, not just with Wing Chun, but with everything, you know. But then again, too, how a village art was, was taught is going to be different than how you know a, a traditional classroom is taught. Sure. How people in the park, the park model of teaching is not new. That's got to be one of the oldest models of teaching. Uh, there is, you know, Hey, around the country, you know, there's a shaded area over there. Let's go train, you know? So there is going to be different teaching styles and modalities. Now, again, I don't think any class is going to have a hundred questions a class. A lot of, like I'm saying, I'm, I'm going to be a broken record and repeat. A lot of the questions come from high repetition of proper training. And I really think that that's a, a teacher's, I don't know, task. Some would consider it a burden. Uh, I think it's fun. I think it's a bit of an honor, but I think it can be all of those all at the same time. Uh, it is our job to hopefully lay out a logical breadcrumb trail Mm. for a student to find what might be the next step. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I, I think you know to to piggyback on what you were saying that there's a lot of responsibility on the part of the teacher to provide information. So it's not just, oh, hey, follow me and maybe you'll get it. There's a lot of explanation and um, theory and those sorts of things that need to be, uh, you know, given to a student like right up front and then reinforced throughout the practice throughout the the practicing of whatever piece you were teaching. You know, it's like I heard that like in old school China, like the teacher would tell you, like he'd tell you three times. That's it. I've heard that too. Yeah. If you didn't get it, you weren't, they weren't going to repeat it. So it was really, and I, I, you know, there's, there's something about that, uh, that appeals to me, but at the same time, I think in a Western context, it's people, they don't pay attention. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, the other, the, the other thing too is what happens if you're sick, you know, you get sick for a few months sure. and you come back to class. If it's the old teaching style, well, mm-hmm. you know, you lost it. And I honestly think that that's where, even though it's a Confucian model, that's where actually training with your Si Hing as well, mm-hmm. or your older brothers mm-hmm. that are all, you know, totally. you, you, yep, and, yep. and, and, and also I could see that's where division and rivalry come into. Sure. Like, no, don't go train with them. You know, it's not so much that you're, te- you know, you're learning behind the teacher's back, but you're trying to go, you know, get a foothold and a stepping stone of somebody that's a little bit higher than you. And it's like, well, what are you learning? What are you teaching? And again, some of the culture, some of the, you know, morals and ethics are going to get, you know, um, you know, a little murky to the waters on that too. But at some point, you know, a lot of Yipman senior students were helping him teach. Because he wasn't physically able to do it anymore. For sure. You know? I, I think there's a long tradition in Chinese martial arts of having to go have more than one source. Like almost everybody I've ever spoken to, all, they all had more than one source on a single particular art or a single particular teacher or a particular style. Uh, you know, or even just like, even down to like the technique level, it's like, okay, well, I saw this technique from teacher and then, you know, you go to older brother and then you're like, Hey, uh, I saw this technique from teacher, you know, but I don't think I quite got it right. And and so, and they may have a different take on it because maybe they've been there since the, maybe the teacher, maybe I think we were talking about this before in our last episode, maybe the teacher has changed their emphasis. Maybe they are older now, so they teach a different version of the technique. Maybe they, uh, so, you know, maybe when you go to this, this, this more senior person in the system, they've got a different perspective on it. Maybe they're younger, maybe they're stronger, and maybe they can, they use the technique in a different way, you know, so it's kind of like that, uh, you can get, you can get like maybe two applications from your teacher and then you can figure out a third and then you can get maybe a fourth one from your senior brother. And then, so we've got four or five practice, you know, you got four or five pieces from, uh, for, for a particular uh, four or five practice methods for a particular piece. Mm. Um, And um, that's, I mean, that's, that's uh, the way that I've heard that most people who really put in the time and are serious about training it, they almost all end up doing it that way at some point, or, you know, if you really want to step on your teacher's toes, 
You can go and um, go to your teacher's uncles and your teacher's brothers and, you know, go get that same information from them. And that's, that's a little risky because you really piss, you can really piss your teacher off. Uh, and, uh, but at the same time, there may be some really valuable information there because you got two older practitioners who've been practicing a long time. They're the same generation. Maybe they shared the same teacher. And then it's like, oh, well, you know, so-and-so, yeah, this other, your, your uncle, your, your Kung Fu brother said this or that. And that, uh, yeah, that generally tends to piss off your teacher. You know, mem- you know, memory has to be a part of it too, not just the questions. Because you're so. talking about going over, you know, maybe you go to older uncle or older brother. And what uncle remembers from 50 years ago might be different than what your older brother remembers from 25. Yep. Because, and I, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not an old man, but I can tell you that there are things that have gone to the wind, not <laughs> just in my martial, martial practice, but, uh, you know, remembering names of people <laughs> that I was close to in the past. Mm-hmm. I always used to get upset with my parents. I'm like, how come you can't remember that person? They, you, you've known them for 30 years. It's like 30 years, 30 years ago. Right. I, I knew them. And so even with the martial knowledge, you know, unless you're up to date and you're always practicing it, you know, it might have been taught differently. Again, the teaching style changes, mm-hmm. you know, and the need for the questioning model. You know, I know a lot of it was also taught, you know, by touch and tactile and you would have to feel the sensory uh, input. And so, you know, high level practitioners, I'm going to tell you, and you know this for a fact too, a high level practitioner, if you're only, you need that tactile. You have to have it. You need to mm-hmm. feel that level of complexity. Mm-hmm. But if there is no way to teach or for that person to, you know, that has that high level of complexity, if they have no method to verbally as well as physically pass it on, mm-hmm. it, you're, you're going to miss some things. Some- yeah. Yeah. The first thing that came to my mind when you were saying that was, I was like, well, you're going to be in a world of hurt. more than likely if you want that you're going to have to do it again and again and again and again that's exactly right that's exactly right they don't have a teaching methodology to to sort of explain it to you you're gonna have to get it the hard way so and i guess that brings us back to what we were talking about before about getting punched in the nose right if it's a legitimate answer it's a legitimate answer that's true leave you with some closing thoughts and again, I keep bringing him up. He's one of the guys we're going to have to do a Mount Rushmore episode on, uh, of, uh, people that we would have loved to train with. Oh, before I start, <laughs> before I start talking about Lisa and Yi, some things that we needed to cover. So we have our Instagram account. We're going to start talking about this, not every episode, but quite a few, uh, KF conversations on Instagram. You can find us. Yep. And if you, you have some questions, that's yep. the best place. And then what is our email again, Owen? Our email is uh, kungfuconversations at gmail.com. So we, if you want to email us, that's the place. We also have a Facebook account for Kung Fu Conversations. Mm-hmm. We also have a Teespring account that has some fantastic dynamite t-shirts on yeah, there. Yeah, I think the t-shirts turned out really well. I do too. Uh, thanks to our friend Goju Spencer. Yes. Uh, ama- amazing artist. So if you go over to Teespring and for the, each of the first words, if they're capitalized, you want Kung Fu Conversations Podcast. That's Kung Fu Conversations Podcast. 
You can also find some pretty cool mugs over there too. Yeah, and then if you, if you'd like to support our show, we are on buy me a coffee and our show is Kung Fu Con Pod. That's Kung Fu Con Pod, C-O-N-P-O-D over at buy me a coffee. We are going to have more and more interviews. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got some, a good one right now. We've, yeah, it's, we do. Gonna, it's going to be up next week the week after maybe. Uh, very, very yeah. excited. Yeah, so me too. what, what that'll do is this will help us. Um, even if you just buy us one cup of coffee one year, that's only five bucks, but that'll help us update our software, update our hardware mm-hmm. and try to bring you, um, variety and quality in the show. So go out there, grab a t-shirt, grab a mug or buy us a coffee over at buy me a coffee. And we would really appreciate your help. Let's get back to the show. So Lisa yeah, go one ahead, last thing I was going to ask you. Yes. Uh, what's your school called? We're here. We're here right outside of Boulder, Colorado, right? Sure. Red forest, Chinese boxing, red, like the color forest, like the trees, Chinese, like the amazing food and boxing, like Muhammad Ali. Excellent. Excellent. And, and, and yours, sir. Mine is Boulder, B-O-U-L-D-E-R, internal arts. And, uh, you can find us on the web, but. You were talking about Lee Sun Yi. Lee Sun Yi. So that's one of the guys I would love to hop in a time machine and give him all the silver tallies or all the gold, whatever he needs. Mm-hmm. Have to learn Chinese. And, uh, I would love to have learned from him. Um, maybe even post, post, um, Bagua, Lee Sun Yi and, uh, uh, or pre, pre Bagua, excuse me, Lee Sun Yi and post Bagua, Lee Sun Yi. And the reason that I would love to learn from him was because we know he had a very successful bodyguard service and he would teach. I'm sure a lot of the people that he hired already had martial skill. I, I would hope, but who knows? Maybe he would train someone from the ground up, mm-hmm. but I think it would be fascinating to see what his men practiced in the camp to keep their martial skills sharp. Mm-hmm. Um, no pun intended. I mean that literally because they used the sabers. They used spear. They used weaponry. And I, I, I wonder what their practices were because it couldn't be all day training. Mm-hmm. It might be two to four hours a day, but the rest of it, you were out doing your job. Sure. Yep. And, and so your job was to protect goods, to transport people, things like that. Mm-hmm. You, you might have to kill a mother Hubbard or two, or at least, you know, hurt their ego and their pride but, um, with a few, you know, punches or kicks or pulls to the head. But if, if the time constraint is there, what is the training? What are the questions that are asked? What is the knowledge that is being shared? Because I find that fascinating and, and you know, it had to work for them because again, he had a successful business. Mm-hmm. And, and so my closing thought with that is, so if you did go back, would he punch you in the nose? 